Blue Wire. You stoked on having a little break though? I've been sleeping so much. So f***ing mad at you. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna get a couple of Kleenex and then we'll go. Okay. Allergies will not give up. But I will <sighs> win. I will beat them. I do every year. <laughs> My nose is a fire hydrant. Chlorotrimeton. So your nose is not like a fire hydrant. <laughs> Perfect. This podcast brought to you by Chlortrimeton. I wish I'm gonna get that free Chlortrimeton. <laughs> Are you breathing like late stage big pun? Ah, <laughs> uh, that's good. Hello, hello, and welcome to Unsalvageable. Utah Jazz Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, with me, Sarah Todd, Jazz Beat Reporter for the Deseret News, and as always, my co-host, Greg Foster. Today we're gonna be eulogizing the jazz. We're gonna be we're gonna be going through it all, talking about the collapse of game six and loss to the Clippers, the things that went wrong, the flaws that were exposed, the things that could get better. We're gonna be hitting it all, Greg. But first. I've got a bone to pick with one Ben Simmons. And I am just here to watch you cook. I covered, I covered the Sixers. So I'm, I'm deeply familiar with the problems that Ben Simmons has. I watched hundreds of his games. And to watch him in the series against the Hawks, to see him not make free throws, to see him scared to play through contact, to see him still unable to take a jump shot. I've even talked about it on this podcast before. It's incredibly frustrating to see a guy that could be one of the best basketball players in the league not maximize his potential. And I hate not maximizing potential. Wasted potential is a a hated trait by Sarah Todd. What I hate more is the idea, because here's what happened after that game seven against the Hawks. Doc Rivers seems confused and befuddled by the idea that they've got Ben Simmons as a point guard. Guess what? So is everyone else, buddy. Joel and Isn't that also on Doc Rivers? Like, buddy. No, it's not. I'm going to push back on. No, he's the fucking coach. No, no, I'm, I do not accept Joel Embiid. You know, he's got some things to say about Ben Simmons and there's this sort of pushback from everyone else. That's like, damn, man, they really threw Ben Simmons under the bus. And to that, I say that guy needed to be run over by the bus. I am so sick. The reason that this whole thing has happened is because you've had years and years of this kid being coddled. Did we know that he couldn't shoot? Well, we kind of had an idea because he played like what a handful of games at LSU and was drafted with basically no evidence that he could play in high level competitive basketball. And he was touted as one of the number one pick. He's going to be one of the greatest compared to magic Johnson compared to LeBron James silver spoon forever and coddled every year after the first year, it was like, well, he's not shooting, but he's a rookie. He's going to get better. You know, we were putting too many expectations on a guy this young. After the second year, we're being told, well, he he's not going to play like this forever. And, you know, if we're talking about this in, I mean, it was Brett Brown and it's the ownership of the Sixers. There's, I sat in a room with them and they looked at me and they said, if we're talking about this in year five, six, seven, then we've got a problem, but it's year three, it's fine. And here we are five years later and the guy still can't hit a free throw. He's still not playing through contact and he's still not taking a jump shot. There is no excuse for that, except for the fact that he has been coddled and the coaches, Brett Brown, Doc Rivers, they've been forced in this position where you've got a max contract style player where it's not like you can just bench him because then you're going to, I mean, you're going to upset the max guy and then what's going to happen. Right. But we're to a breaking point where you have no choice. And so Doc Rivers benches him on possessions where he needs someone to make a free throw. And then you've got Doc Rivers after the game saying, I don't know if Ben Simmons can play point guard because he can't, you can't have a guy initiating offense who the defense is going to sag down on that much, who is going to just hide out maybe in the dunker spot and never move on the offensive end. And on the defensive end, he can't really make up for it because he's so scared. It is 
infuriating. And I'm so glad that Doc Rivers said those things. I'm so glad that Joel Embiid is calling him out because he absolutely deserves it. And then the next day, Monday, we got, you know, this story comes out that Doc Rivers says, you know, Ben Ben Simmons isn't going to be playing in the Olympics and he's going to stay back and he's going to, you know, work with a skills coach and he's going to be in the gym all summer. I have heard that for years. Sure, Jan. I'll believe it when I see it. My blind faith is done with Ben Simmons. I It is no more, no longer. You are a bad basketball player, and I'll believe it when I see it. You know, I, I heard today, and I do agree with everything you say, and it hurts me as being, I don't know, maybe one of three jazz fans who truly loves the Sixers. Philadelphia is my second home. Yeah. I love that town almost as much as I love Salt Lake City love the people, love the culture. It is. It was a very transformational place for me in my life and holds a very dear piece of my heart. And when I was there, uh, I became kind of an adjunct uh, Sixers fan, a de facto Sixers fan. I was there the night Allen Iverson got his jersey retired. Mm. I am not a religious man. That was about as close as of a religious experience as I as I have had in decades, and so I have an affinity for the Sixers, and I really do like that team, and it was incredibly hard to watch. And while I don't think that Ben Simmons deserves all the flack and all the blame as to why the Sixers flamed out in the way they did, a large chunk of it shoot worse than Shaquille O'Neal at the free throw line if you don't put up Shaquille O'Neal type offensive numbers. And that man took three shots in seven games in the fourth quarter. I believe in my heart of hearts. I, I have even said this on this podcast and I've said it a million times on Twitter that there is a huge difference between your regular average Joe LA fitness guy who plays ball every other day and a professional athlete. Yes. I am in the former. Yes. I'm the LA fitness guy at this point. I still believe in my heart of hearts. I could beat Ben Simmons in a free throw contest. I know I could beat Ben Simmons in a free throw contest. That's that's, it's just such a terrible indictment. And, you know, we've, we've talked about it before too, like the, the mistakes versus problems things. And we are so beyond the point of mistakes with Ben Simmons. This it's, has been a continuous it's, problem. It's, yeah. It is incredibly problematic and it is tanked. The Sixers now in multiple playoff series. I do also want to say that I thought Tobias Harris played like doo-doo butt. I'm not saying, like you said, Ben Simmons is not to blame for the Sixers not being able to beat the Hawks in in, in an, an entire sense. The things that are exposed about Ben Simmons in the playoffs, this is not news. This is not new. It's not surprising. It's this isn't, it's nothing because. I knew this was going to happen. Everybody should have known this was going to happen. This has been this has been a problem for years. It's not years. surprising in the slightest that it happened. No. No. What, what is surprising is that it took this long for a coach or for anyone else to call out the problem. And what's most disappointing to me is the that backtrack the next day with Doc Rivers saying, we're going to get in the gym. We're going to fix this. I I don't believe you. I yeah. I The thing is, if it happens, great. And I will be the first one to sit here and be like, wow, Ben Simmons really put in work in the offseason. He's looking a lot better, taking a jump shot. Wahoo. I will be the first one to say it. But I've been told that I it, it would take me five seconds right now to find a video from 2018 with Brett Brown at a press conference after the Raptors knock out the Sixers in the playoffs and for him to say, Ben, will get better. We're going to stick with Ben. He's going to do better. It's every it's every single year that we're saying this about him. And until he proves me otherwise, until people stop coddling him, I refuse to put any more faith in him. Agreed. And it's such he's such an <laughs> anomaly in the sense that he is otherworldly as a defender. Yeah, he might be the best perimeter defender in the league. And when you have somebody who's that talented and has that kind of ability to put his imprint on the game. It's hard to, you know, to pull him, but you can't be all world at one thing and a liability in the other and make $30 million a year in the NBA. You know what? This is a, a good way for us to segue into the jazz. Let's do it. Yeah. 
I think that's, you know, that is why people are tuning in. I'm not going to say that this is a direct comparison. I'm actually going to, you know, prop up Rudy Gobert right now, because that's what a lot of people would say about Rudy Gobert. Three-time defensive player of the year, great on defense, doesn't add anything on offense. And I get it. I get where that criticism would come from. I think that for people who have watched the Jazz's offensive system change over the last three years, Rudy Gobert is not a part of the offense by design at this point. Right. He very graciously has accepted a lesser role in the offense. I mean, it's the whole reason that they're able to kick to these open guys and get so many open three-pointers. Mm-hmm. So the function of their offense becoming what it was this season and historic in that realm is because Rudy Gobert has accepted a lesser role in offense. Is that to say that Rudy Gobert can't get better? No, I, I too think that Rudy should get into the gym and should work on his touch around the rim and his finishing. I mean, I think that people should be like using punching bags on him and he has to like fight through those for weeks. Yeah. Don't go I'm, play in Tokyo. Even if Rudy had a singular go-to move on the block, he, he doesn't have one. I mean, you'll see every now and again, he'll, he'll do a little drop step or he'll, he'll get somebody on an up and under pump fake, but he still doesn't have that go-to move. And it's not even consistent. At, yeah. Even at seven, two, if he could develop some sort of like Al Jefferson baby hook, there's gotta be something there. And I think what we saw in this series was really kind of the perfect storm against the Utah jazz. I still believe in my heart of hearts that if the Utah Jazz were completely healthy, they win this series. And with an injured backcourt, it, again, took away their dynamism on both sides of the ball. Hats off to Mike Conley for giving it a go in game six. It seemed like a a, a last-ditch effort, and it definitely was. But it was apparent after the opening tip that man was not right and the Jazz holding him out was warranted. He was he was hurt and he was he looked like he was maybe 50% and Donovan was maybe 60%. I know he was lights out in game 6 with 39 9 and 9. What Donovan was able to do on one and a half legs in this series is one of the more impressive things I think I've ever seen in the playoffs. But it simply wasn't enough and it took away the dynamism and when when Conley and or Donovan were on the floor, they were they were traffic cones on defense and they were liability. As much as you want to pin the problems on Rudy Gobert, which he deserves quite a bit of blame for the collapse, it was not him specifically. And what I'm seeing with this Jazz team, and feel free to push back if you want, the Jazz are engineered scheme-wise and with the construction of their roster to beat 90 to 95% of the teams in the NBA. However, this team has a fatal flaw and we have seen it now in five straight postseasons. And that is they run into all sorts of problems when they have to go up against a five out lineup. We saw it in the Warriors with the Warriors in 2017, 2018 and 2019, we saw it with the Houston Rockets. 2020, we saw it with the Nuggets. And 2021, we saw it with the Clippers. And they have a really hard time beating the switches with, without their dynamism. And they have a hard time guarding that perimeter and they give up all sorts of shots. And I, I get it. The Jazz defense is predicated on filtering everything to Rudy Gobert. And it works for most teams. We saw it work great against Memphis because Memphis doesn't have the outside shooting in order to make the Jazz pay. It does not work against a team like the Clippers that has shooters everywhere. The fact of the matter is, is the Jazz have prioritized conventional basketball positions instead of versatility. I completely agree with you. I'm not going to push back on that at all because, I mean, it's apparent. And like you said, the Jazz's defense is constructed in, and this is both Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck and Quinn Snyder because it's like uh-huh. the, the defense creates a situation where they filter everything down into Rudy Gobert. All right, well, that... That if you filter everything into Rudy Gobert, that works. If, like you said, when the Jazz were healthy, I think that might still work. They might be able to do it at a level where it still works. Because mm-hmm. if 
Donovan is healthy, if Mike is healthy, if Joe isn't fatigued because Mike and Don weren't healthy. I think that those guys can, you know, swing around, cut through screens, uh, stay on top of the switches, close out on guys quicker. I think it could still work. Right. And the perimeter defense could be better when it, when it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's really bad. Now, what do you get when you don't have Mike Conley and when you don't have Donovan Mitchell at hundred percent, when Joe Ingles just isn't capable because he's too tired and he's 30, he's 33. Yeah. 32, 33 years old. Ingles is not the same defender he was in 2017, where he completely shut down JJ Redick in that Clippers series with the Jazz one and seven. He's no. not the same dude, and we can't expect him to be the same dude. That's part of getting older. Yeah. And when you've got those three guys that, you know, they're clearly not at 100%, that means that you basically your perimeter defense is uh, Royce O'Neill. And when Royce O'Neill gets blown by, that means that there are then three options that Rudy Gobert has to choose from. And as good as he is, and as good as any NBA player is, you can't guard three players at one time. No. And, and so it's really, it's a failing of the depth of the team. And it's a fail because that's the thing is like when the jazz were good and healthy, it was like, they're, you know, they're nine, 10 deep and they're healthy and it's great. Right. Yeah. Well, when it's, it's a delicate house of cards and it was blown over because you take one of those cards out, it being Donovan or Mike, et cetera, as we've talked about. And then the jazz aren't so deep because then you're looking at Mia Yoni and George Niang, Rudy Gobert also in that game six. I mean, he was injured. The jazz didn't want him to go back after he took that hard fall oh, yeah, in the with first the, quarter. With the hip. Yeah. So you got Rudy Gobert who's injured too. So you got all three of your all-stars injured in the game six. They're tired out. Donovan's ankle keeps taking a beating. You got Pat Beverly falling on it, not on purpose. And it just keep, keeps on and keeps on taking a beating. That's the first time Mike Conley even ran in a two and a half week period. It's the first time he ran. And he looked gassed, man. As, as I he know, should have. As he should be. I know like professional athletes are, are not. Look, it takes two, three months to get in shape. Yeah. And you can lose that in a week, week and a half. That's how delicate it is and how hard it, it, it is to stay in tip top shape. We're not asking these, like when these athletes go out with injury, we're not asking like, Hey, how long is it going to take you to get your wind back? Or like when they go on a, when they've got three or four days of rest, they're like, Oh, they didn't have their legs underneath them. That's not just hyperbole. That happens. Yeah. And I would just, I, I don't think a lot of the average casual NBA fans understand the pacing in an NBA game. It's so fast. Even, even like th- and it's a lot similar from like, you know, when I played high school football and then made the jump to college, that was incredibly stark. And it's even that that's amplified up a huge margin yeah. in the NFL. It's the same thing with college basketball and the NBA. The pace is absolutely frenetic. Yeah. And unless you're, I don't know, some sort of giant genetic freak, you're not going to be able to hang. And there's a reason certain teams play at a certain pace. And it's why we're all that's it's why Kevin Durant playing 48 minutes during a playoff game is so incredible. Unbelievable. It's it is. It's dangerous. It's exhausting. It's a physical feat that I don't think that a lot of people understand. That's why it's so impressive. You're basically sprinting multiple miles. Oh, yeah. The crazy, crazy pace, and it's so physically demanding. And even if you've been removed for it for a couple of weeks, it's you can't just pick it right back up where you, where you were. I think that it's good that we say those things. I think that it's good that we mentioned that Donovan was injured, Mike was injured, Rudy was injured in that game six, Joe was fatigued because Mike and Donovan were injured. And so there's a few things that because of those injuries, I think that it, it we need to point out some flaws that were there, but that were, I would say not necessarily flaws. So it's like, you know, too much Jordan Clarkson. Well, you're over-reliant on Jordan Clarkson because Mike and Don are injured and because Joe is fatigued. Because you don't have any other options. You know, it kind of feels like, it kind of feels like the Clippers playing the jazz and Ty Lue against Quinn Snyder, which credit to Ty Lue. I know I gave him a bunch of earlier for just throwing things at a wall, hoping it would stick. 
it stuck. I would love to say I'm sorry about that because I, I said it too. I said the Clippers aren't deep. They have options. And in the playoffs, you want to be deep. Well, guess what? I they was found wrong. It works. Yeah, I was wrong. And, because uh, and options, it, options turned out to be brilliant because if you, you're without Kawhi Leonard, you throw out Terrence Mann, apparently he can score 40 a night. And if Pat yeah. Bev, if Pat Bev isn't working, you throw in Reggie Jackson or you throw in Rajon Rondo. If you want to go big, you got Zubak, you got Boogie. If you want to go small, you got Batum, you got Marcus, Marcus Morris. Morris. And none of the, I would say none of those players are very good. Yeah. But you can play any style of basketball with them. Yeah. I mean, just just imagine being being a coach and I don't know, you're playing a game of chess and the person you're going up against has all of their pieces and you are missing your rook, your bishop, and your queen can only go backwards and forwards. Not a, not much of a chance you're gonna win that game, right? And, and the other the other teams, pawns can now move as many spaces as they want. Yeah. I mean, props to Terrence, man. The Jazz gambled, and they, they by design, let Terrence Mann shoot, and he had the game of his life, and he responded, and that's just, unfortunately, the way the cookie crumbled. Yeah, and we talked about it before the series had started because these are two of the best three-point shooting teams this season, the Jazz by volume and the Clippers by percentage. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out that percentage was very nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially with the, you know, with the you're amount sh- of threes they were taking when you're that good of a team and you can shoot that well and you're shooting 43s a night. They shot 74% from three point range in the second half of that game six. Yeah. Which I understand that you're injured, but those two versus one rotations was the death knell. It just, it, Killed the jazz. And I understand that the jazz were not equipped to stop that. Yeah. And it just, it cost them the series. Batum was hitting wide open shots, you know, and Terrence Mann was the same way. And a lot of it was super smart by Ty Lue in that they really played off of Gobert's instincts and the jazz play drop coverage. That's what they do. And they did not have the, the, the versatility in order to go five out and it cost them. And we saw it throughout the season. We saw it against the Suns when Chris Paul just destroyed them. And honestly, going back further in the season, we sh- there were warning signs watching those Timberwolves games. Yeah. Uh, and the Timberwolves going 3-0 and against the Jazz was not a mistake. They have a certain roster that exposes the flaws and they can go five out. And when you have a dynamic big like Carl Anthony Towns, who's a great shooter and Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell, and they were able to expose that. And that is legitimately the one thing the jazz need to correct in my opinion, in order to get over the mountaintop. And then when, you know, if we're talking about the jazz correcting that we have to, you know, think back, it's like, okay, what, it, what have they done to sort of get to this point? And it's a little disappointing because they sold this idea of, you know, we've got Derek favors, which means that when we, you know, go to our bench, we can play the exact same style as our starting lineup. So it's easier for all of our guards and wings. It's easier right. because we just, nothing changes or basketball players. They should be smart enough to switch a style from here or there. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so they're, they're, they're selling it to us as this like really great thing that like, oh, they're going to play a traditional big style of basketball. Well, the problem with that is that Derek Favors is not Rudy Gobert, first of all. And if you are like hamstringing your entire roster to play one style then you're just saying that we don't have versatility we won't have versatility it's just not going to happen yeah it's like a it's like a a, an nfl offense completely predicated on running the ball right you become predictable and there are ways of shutting that down and stopping it and exposing like the name of the game in the nba is versatility Right. And the and the championship Warriors team set the blueprint. And what we're seeing is teams taking that mold. And I think offensively, 
the, the Warriors comparison to the Jazz, not far off. And there were times this season the Jazz looked 24 or yeah, the Jazz looked 2014 Spurs-esque. Right. That doesn't mean that they have that same defensive versatility. It, it makes it look particularly bad with the Udoka as bouquet pick. <sighs> because, oh. and, and honestly, I'm still okay with that pick if you don't sign Derek Favors and use the full mid-level on him. Yes. There were some really head-scratching decisions. And I think I, I say, let's just, let's go. I'm going to get right into this. Yeah, go for it. Se- season's over. Hindsight's 2020. Right. And I say this with the caveat that Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck are much, much smarter than me and know a hell of a lot more about basketball and basketball operations than me. These are simply my observations, my opinions on things. We've already talked about it. The Jazz are built to be 90, 95% of the league, but have a fatal flaw against teams that can go five out. That's happened now in five straight postseasons. I don't think it's arguable. Yeah. Even, even with a healthy team. Yeah. We've said all year, all year long, that the Jazz needed another wing defender. And they wasted roster spots on Ursan Ilyasova and Matt Thomas. That was a big mistake. I love Derek Favors like he's a son of mine. In hindsight, that money should have gone to someone like Nick Batum or Jay Crowder or someone in that mold. Right. Not having a backup point guard was a terrible decision. That was completely exposed in this series. You didn't have somebody who could consistently break down the offense, who could beat those double teams and those switches and get guys open and get Rudy involved in the pick and roll and in the in the, the lob game. Drafting Doak was a huge overreaction and, and a mistake. I understand the Rudy situation was very volatile this summer and we there was, there was some trepidation and some anxiety in the front office on whether or not he was going to sign that contract. But that seemed like a crazy overreaction reaction especially when Desmond Bain was right there and that man just made an all-rookie team I also thought that giving up on Juwan Morgan this season seemed like a pretty big mistake he seemed like somebody with some coaching and some mentoring could have really helped you in a series like this and I think the number one thing that we're seeing in all of this regarding the roster construction is the Jazz one through seven are about as good as any team in the league with Donovan and Mike and Ingles and Royce and Boyan and Rudy and, and the, the main core of guys. But once you hit that seventh spot, there is a very precipitous drop-off. And Mie Oni and George Niang and Derek Favors and the rest of the crew did not look like NBA players in this series. And that is very concerning, especially when you have a Clippers team that has situational players. Again, I I just want to say that if, if the jazz aren't going to sign Derek favors, I'm okay with the dope pick. Sure. Cause you know what you late first round, you get, a backup center and then you go out and use the MLE to find a small ball five and someone that can switch for you. Mm-hmm. Then, I mean, if that happens, then we're not talking about this right now, No, you know, cause then your backup center is a developing guy. It only looks bad right now because used the full mid-level exception on Derek favors and because Doke was injured all year. And so he just couldn't be there. Right. Right. It's not like you could put Doke in. And so there's zero development there. That's, that's not anybody's fault. Don't getting injured. And so I'm not no. even going to bring that up as a, as a reason to be upset about it. But the reason that the dope pick looks so bad is because the jazz didn't address of any of the other problems with the, the money or the picks that they had. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you sign fave full mid level, full mid level, which is, mm-hmm. it just hurts a little bit. So it does. you, you sign fave full mid level waste time with Urson and Matt Thomas and all of that is bad because it's just like you're not addressing any problems with any of those guys you maybe you address it if you bring Urson in and you actually make him a part of the rotation sure you actually try him out as a small ball five and you think maybe this is gonna we'll use this in the playoff they didn't though and the, the problem that I have with the other guys you brought up Mie, George, Jawan, even our guy our sweet sweet boy Jarrell Brantley we love you. Not ready for prime time. And why aren't they ready for prime time? Uh, yes. Huge. I mean, they've been roster now for a couple of years. Right. And so, and all season long, we were like, 
oh, you know, is, is Quinn going to expand the roster at all? Is he going to give some guys some rest? Like getting the number one seed, you know, writing those top seven, eight, nine guys that hard was to the detriment of development for me, for George Niang, for Juwan Morgan, for Jarrell Brantley. The only reason Trent Forrest got any time was because they were missing two guys. Trent Forrest wouldn't even come in at the end of this season if Donovan was able to play or if Mike was able to play. And so the only reason that we even know anything about him is because like if none of these guys were developing at all. And at this, at the same time, like I'm still not a hundred percent convinced that Trent Forrest is an NBA player. No, I'm not convinced on any of it. And a lot of, you know, we saw a lot of growth from George Yang throughout the season, but his minutes were cut shorter. And when you're not expanding the roster, then he's not going to develop anymore. It's not surprising to me that he wasn't really ready for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You, when you aren't expanding your roster, Mieoni isn't getting time against like high level NBA players. So it's not surprising to me that the best thing he can do is get an offensive board. We, we mm-hmm. don't know anything about where Jarrell is at in his game because he basically played one game this season. Yeah, he was, and he was solid in that in that one game. But yeah, that is not a sample size that you can take to the bank. No, and it's not a sample size that you can feel comfortable with when it comes down to a game six in the uh-uh. playoffs in the second round. You can't just throw those guys in there and think like, oh, here we are. You have to ride the guys that you've ridden all season, and yeah. that that shortened rotation, the lack of development from those other players, and it makes it even more confusing when you head into this off season, because then you have to answer questions like, okay, well, do you re-sign Mie or Drell or Juwan? Do you keep these guys around? I don't know. I haven't seen them play. Yeah. And I think an- another thing I want to bring up too is much like the Simmons problem, you have a similar one in Gobert where I don't know how you pull him. I know that was like, people were screaming about that in game six. And I'm not saying you're wrong because Gobert was, was exposed and they, he was preyed upon. But I, I honestly think that Gobert is exposed in those moments because of the lack of defense that you have from the other players. Like yeah. is, can go, can Gobert actually stay on a guy out on the perimeter and not try to recover so hard to the, the rim or vice versa can he stay at the rim and not try to recover so hard out on the perimeter if you've got perimeter defenders that can stay with their men yeah I think that's that's a part of it but in a situation that you do want to go five out and have that versatility and you're putting Gobert on the bench your your guy who's making 40 million dollars a year who has shown a propensity to pout and whine and let his emotions get the best of you, which has caused toxicity in the locker room before. I think that creates an entirely new set of problems. Now, I think that this is actually where the Ben Simmons stuff ties in a little bit more too, because one of the things that makes things worse for Ben Simmons in all of the stuff that I was complaining about up top is that he's also an asshole. Uh-huh. Yeah, he sucks. He's a diva. It makes everything worse. Gobert is not that he has a hot temper. So does Donovan Mitchell. So do a lot of competitive people in the world. Yeah. I think they want to win more than anything. Gobert is not a mean person. He's not a malicious person. And one of the things that I have seen out of Rudy, uh, especially over the last, since the, since the league shut down because of COVID is a, is a very, very strong self-awareness it's like he really, really wants to make sure that his his actions and his emotions are aligning. That self-awareness and that maturity is a really big deal. And one of the things that he said in, in the end of year interviews that we had with the players is he said, I want to clear my head and I want to make sure that I'm asking myself the right questions. And to me, what that says is if he were to be like, why am I not on the floor more? Why am I not getting played more minutes? Why did we lose? Oh, it's because of the perimeter defense. If he's asking those things to himself, those are the wrong questions, right? How can I be more versatile? How can I be more flexible with the team? What can I do to make them feel more comfortable? Those are the right questions. And if you answer those questions and you say, you know what, if they bring in a small ball five and that's the guy that needs to be on the floor to get us to a win, then that's what we're going to do. If you answer that question in that way, then I mean, he's far and away a better player than we ever thought he was just because of attitude alone. Uh I think that that hopefully is what Rudy Gobert 
sees in this offseason. He goes into the offseason. He sees well, these are the criticisms of guys like Ben Simmons, of you know other guys around the league. What are the criticisms of me? And how can I make that different? Well, he can make it different by not pouting and by allowing the team to do what it needs to do to win. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I do now kind of want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about we we've we've done a full eulogy on the jazz we've pointed out the problems now let's talk about how we can fix them and here's some things that i would like to see sarah push back add whatever you'd like i think the number one priority is you have to sign mike re-sign mike conley or you have to get some sort of haul in a side and trade mike leaving without getting anything in return would be pretty devastating for the jazz that's a disaster it absolutely can't happen yeah I will say though, that if Mike leaves, it, it may not be the worst thing with the caveat that like, if you can do some sort of comparable sign in trade, because I think point Donovan works. I think he's proven at this point, he can run an offense. I still think he needs to, to get a little bit better in his decision-making and his ball handling. But I also have faith in Donovan Mitchell making that making that leap. He's made a leap every single season he's been in the NBA. I think it's, it's, something that can happen if you if you do a sign and trade with Mike then I think you've got to bring in some sort of dynamic two guard two three somebody with versatility I I'm not sure who that is I, I just don't make that decision yeah I just I, it worries me that a sign and trade is not going to bring in something that's going to add what Mike adds to the team agreed yeah I think I, I number- think I think bottom line you have to resign Mike just yeah that. absolutely Yeah, I'm saying like this is, I bring up the sign and trade as like a worst case scenario. Yeah. I think another thing you absolutely positively have to sign or or trade for another wing, another stretch player. The Jazz have mid-level exception again. They have taxpayer mid-level, but still, I mean, taxpayer mid-level, look around the league and look what Torrey Craig signed for. Look what Nick Batum signed for. Those guys are out there. He's the guy I'm calling. Yeah. If I'm Dennis Lindsay, as soon as I get off the phone Calling both of them with Mike Conley, I might be FaceTiming both of them at the same time. <laughs> this might be like a mean girl situation, except for like, I'm not trying to spread gossip. I'm trying to bring everyone together. Yeah. You've got taxpayer mid-level, you've got biannual, and you can sign guys to a minimum. <laughs> yeah. And guys, I, we're doing it already. Mm-hmm. I think you absolutely have to shore shore up your bench. You have to add more depth, especially a backup point guard. I think Joe Ingles worked very well in the regular season, but he can be schemed against. And we've seen that in the playoffs and you just can't rely on Jordan Clarkson to do anything other than be your bucket getter, which is exactly what he should be doing. Right. You shouldn't, Um, you, you shouldn't rely on him. No, 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 no. Jordan Clarkson is in the league for a very specific reason. And it's up to the jazz to let him be Jordan Clarkson. He's not in, he's not. And I don't think he pretends to be anything else. Nope. It's also, it is put up or shut up time for the guys at the end of the bench. If you want to prove that you are an NBA player, I'm talking about, especially Mie Oni, Jawan Morgan, Jarrell Brantley, Trent Forrest. It is absolutely time for one or multiple of them to make the leap obviously they don't get a choice in that you know no no it's and like, I think that it's like if you're if you want these guys to make the leap then you, you gotta give them the chance you invest in them in the summer you invest in them heavily during the off season and then yeah. you you give them a chance during the regular season you can't you cannot keep an eight and nine man rotation throughout the entirety of the regular season nope you can't do it and i mean to the jazz's benefit we're getting summer league back right we're getting utah jazz salt lake city summer league which you will see my big dumb face at you're getting vegas summer league i think that was a huge detriment to the young guys this season yeah. Not not having that time, not being able to work on their game, develop that chemistry, that continuity. You know, the Jazz, this is not a unique problem to the Jazz in that a lot of teams had to rely on shortened rosters. Right. And it's come back to bite a lot of teams in the and it's it's a bummer, but it that's now past us. And right. we're getting back and we're gonna 
sort of normalcy in the NBA now. And I think that's going to pay huge dividends, but agree. I do agree. Like they need their shot. And if it's, it's upon it's on them once they get that shot to make the most of it. Right. Yeah. The jazz could very easily go to them and say, you've got until the trade deadline. What do you got? Uh huh. And then it's on them. And then if they don't have anything, drop them, wave them, bring someone else in on a minimum. Yeah, totally agree. I think you have to fix the center conundrum. You have to have. You got to bring in a small ball five. Yeah, you got to bring in a small ball five. Love Derek Favors. Honestly, uh, I, I think, think you got to trade that contract. I don't. I don't know how you I, do it. I, yeah, and I'm with it. And I don't like saying that, but Derek Favors was a liability in the playoffs. I know that what I'm going to hear from Jazz fans is the pushback that, well, at least he was better than Tony Bradley. That's not the bar you want Which to like, be cool. reaching for. That's like, yeah. Yeah, he has been on three NBA teams now Tony and has yet Bradley, to really crack a roster. Tony Bradley was on the tanking Oklahoma City Thunder and he couldn't get minutes. Yeah. That's not the argument. The argument is not he's better than Tony Bradley. The argument is Tony Bradley was bad. Derek Favors isn't the answer. It needs to be someone else. That's the argument. Exactly. Exactly the point. Yeah. Like it's a comparing him to Tony Bradley is not a bar. It's not helpful. Yeah. And it's like, you're that like that should be the floor. Let's not compare things to the floor. Plus, we like, need we, to we, get better. Yeah, we've already talked about the fact that like you, you know playing Derek Favors at the five hamstrings the Jazz into this one style of basketball. You need to move away from it. If you want a backup center, you've got Udoka. Develop him and then go get a small ball five that you can use. Hundred percent. I really, I really think it was a huge mistake to not at least give Ilyasova some sort of run. Yep. I don't think that Ilyasova was going to be the Jazz's savior in this series. Not the answer, but no. Why? Why is he there? We heard it. We heard it during after the acquisition. You know, this is a guy that could help shore up our bench. This is a guy who could help us in big playoff games. And then he he got a DNP in all six games, yeah. which I say, what the? F-? Yeah. I mean, we brought it up on the pod. If you're not trying it for two or three minutes, six possessions, six, seven possessions in one of those games, that's the coaching problem that I have. I like a lot of this is roster construction. Uh, but a lot of it was scheme. I'm, but, it, you know, and that scheme and is because of roster construction, right? You, yes. You've got to go yeah. to a certain scheme. But there yeah. were, but there was the option of like, hey, let's throw this out there and just see if it works for two minutes. Uh-huh. You're yeah, blowing a 25 point lead. Why not? Yeah. And. I think that there was some real problems with Quinn's, his rigidness this season. Like how many times did we see the starters out in the fourth quarter when they had a 22 point lead? That's exactly what we're talking about here because it's like, you're not expanding anything. You're keeping those guys. It's like, you want them to stay fresh and stay ready and see all kinds of looks and always be thinking about the next game. Yeah. Well now you got a whole, you know, third string of guys that never saw the floor You've got, you know, guys like Mia and George who could have been more prepared for the postseason than they weren't. Yeah. And you, you had a small ball five option that you could have used for a few games to see if it worked during the regular season. You didn't try it then. You didn't try it in the playoffs. And you know what? They did. They did against the Lakers. And right. Ilyasova balled out. And I understand that it, it, you know, it was a lot of it, that was contingent upon. I was also an AD injured Laker. Out. Yeah. But like, still, I mean, Ilyasova has a history of being able to show up in playoff games and yes. be a plus. Again, he's not your all-star. He's not going to be the Jazz's savior, but he could be a plus. And why not it at least give it a shot? It doesn't matter if it's even like he's your savior. It doesn't matter because you were dying. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, you don't yeah. need a, you don't need a saver. You just need a life fest. Yeah. I feel like we've been a bit doom and gloom. And I would like to kind of reel us back in because there were all sorts of positives that happened in this season. You had three all-stars. You had the defensive player of the year. You had the sixth man of the year. You had uh, one of the greatest shooting teams in the history of basketball. And these are all things that, that are transferable that you can still have next season. And there is a lot of reason to be optimistic. I said it before, I'll say it again. I thought this Clippers series was a great litmus test. Winning the first round, getting two games against the Clippers who have, a, I think, a pretty legitimate chance to make the NBA Finals really shows you the improvement that this team has made. Flaming out the way you did, 
and it, having having those flaws fully exposed shows you just how much further you have to go. The mountaintop can be seen. Yes. It, there's still there's still a hike to get there. You still have you still have some climbing to do and some elevation to gain, but it's achievable at this point. Yeah, and the path to get there is very clear. Depth, yes. Depth and versatility. Uh-huh. Yeah, we That's absolutely it. have to have to divorce ourselves from this idea of traditionalism. Yes. That is not how the NBA works anymore. This is not the Patrick Ewing, Carl Malone, Charles Barkley NBA anymore, where you throw it to the big and he, he takes 25 dribbles, takes the air out of the ball and shoots a, a contested five foot hook shot. Right. That's done. And you know what? Thank goodness. Now it's time to fully get with the times. And I agree with you that there were so many positives. Like, yeah, it's doom and gloom. That's because the the Jazz got knocked out of the second round. Like, it is doom and gloom right now. But there were so many positives. This team, I mean, I think if you're looking for a positive, look no further than what Donovan Mitchell was able to do while playing through an incredible amount of pain. This man is a star. He's an absolute I star. You can't, I, I don't think it's even... It's, there's no argument at this point anymore that and this is a star-driven league yeah the jazz have their star and they have their stars yeah for the foreseeable future it's time to build correctly around them yeah and i think the jazz are close some some roster some roster tweaks bring in some versatility and the wonderful thing about this league now is that there is a cavalcade a litany of versatile players, you know, I have my eye on, I think like a perfect example of the type of guy that jazz could, could bring in is a, is a Matisse Tybel type type. Yeah. Like a guy with that kind of versatility who can guard multiple positions, big, strong, can hit shots, can go to the hole. Like that Clippers team is exactly that. You've got a bunch of guys who range from six, four to six, nine, who can do everything. Exactly. You know, I, I just do want to touch on just really quickly. I think, you know, we're wrapping up here. We're talking about Donovan Mitchell being a star in this league. I, it's not arguable. Can't deny it anymore. He's in that top tier of player. That's just how it, that that's who he is now. I've been hearing from a lot of places, sort of national pundits that have been suggesting that Donovan Mitchell was either performative about his injury or... Yeah. Yeah, the fact. Shut the up. I mean, the implication is that Donovan wasn't really as injured. He was just trying to avoid criticism. And so that's why he was like limping off the floor, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Donovan Mitchell, the PT Barnum of the NBA. It is, it is, is so irresponsible and offensive for me to hear that. It's disgusting. (laughs) Like Mark Jackson inferring in game six that Donovan Mitchell's not hurt. It, like, that is that to say that on a national broadcast in front of millions of people. I cannot believe that. I'm, it's you know what? I can't garbage. And it. you know what? Congratulations, Mark Jackson. Again, just another one of the laundry list of reasons why you'll never get another head coaching job in the league. Exactly. You head. Donovan worked so hard to downplay his injury. <laughs> you know, he's literally limping off the floor. Donovan, how's the ankle? How's it feeling? Like, what's the kind of pain you're going through? And he's like, I'm fine. It doesn't matter. It's fine. I'm fine. Brushes it off. Next question. Yeah. Have you ever he, met a professional athlete? Yeah. He, he was, we talked about it on this podcast that he watching him like walk to the free throw line and like purposefully not limp, not grimace. He was being very purposeful in not trying not to let people see how hurt he was. He didn't want that to be the excuse. Uh-huh. It is disgusting that anyone would suggest yeah. that he was playing up the injury. That guy did he was hurt and what he did while he was hurt was incredibly impressive. And for anybody to say otherwise is just downright offensive. And it makes me sick. Your honor. Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> I would like to present exhibit a go ahead in my argument in the defense of Donovan Mitchell. I'll see the exhibit as I may, I may I approach the bench. Yes, please approach bench. Be as you see here, I would like to ask a question to you. Has Donovan Mitchell been a member of Team USA the past few off seasons? Yeah, I guess sir, yes. Is Donovan Mitchell playing in the 2021 Tokyo Olympic Summer Games? Uh, no, sir, he isn't. Defense rest, Your Honor. 
Yeah. Also, when that news came out, it was like, oh, Donovan Mitchell declines <laughs> Team USA offer. It's like, yeah, he can't walk. Of course he did. I should have gone to law school. Yeah, we both should have. We're doing a great job. <laughs> Pottying, greater sign, lawyering. Yeah. No offense to all my wonderful lawyer friends who are great and much smarter and better at this kind of stuff than I am. Yeah. Shout out to the lawyers. <laughs> I think that, you know what, that's a good place to stop it. Uh, we're going to have a lot more exciting stuff coming throughout the off season. We won't be stopping the podcast. So don't worry about that. We're coming at you guys regularly as always next week. I really want to get into some exciting stuff that's going to be coming up. I won't tease it too much, but there is going to be some exciting stuff coming up and we'll get into some of the other stuff that we didn't get to talk about as the playoffs sort of, you know, started to really jump off and we'll get into the all NBA snub of Donovan Mitchell. We'll get into that third defensive player of the year award for Rudy Gobert. We're going to talk about all that stuff and we're going to talk about targets that the jazz should go after. So Mm -hmm. Very much looking forward to breaking down this roster and the performances this year. We are going to be handing out letter grades. Full letter grades for every player on the roster, all the way down to Elijah Hughes. Yeah. I mean, we're talking, we're going to be talking draft coverage. We're going to be talking Jasmine and the Olympics. We've got Summer League six weeks away. We've got Vegas Summer League seven weeks away. And, you know, and then training camp starts pretty close after that. And then you got the, you got the regular season tipping off right before Halloween. Like the ball does not lie. It also does not stop. The ball does not stop. And we will be here with it as it keeps rolling. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, We're so glad that we were able to get this kicked off before the playoffs started this year. It's been so much fun for Greg and I, and we're excited to keep it going. Like I said, we're going to be here all off season. So rate, review, subscribe, download, do all of the things. Follow Greg at Dad Champ Dad. Follow me at NBA Sarah. Follow the show at Unsalvageable. Send us an email. Let's do some mailbag episodes. You got yeah, questions? Yeah, let's do. Yeah, send us an email. Unsalvageablepod at gmail.com. And we'll answer your questions on one of the episodes. Thanks so much. We'll speak to you soon. I'm just happy to be here. Hey, Greg, is Victor okay? Victor died. RIP Victor. (laughs) I survive (laughs) self-strangulation. No, Victor. (laughs) I'm learning not to self-harm.